Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Well, hey, uh, we are going to conclude a series today, and over the last eight weeks, uh, we've been talking about this title that you see on the screen, the big banner you see in the lobby, uh, this idea of welcome home, and the culture that we believe God has called us as a church to create as we embark on this journey in San Francisco. It's hard to believe that we are nine weeks old today, and that God has done so many great things in just nine weeks, but uh, as we started out, we felt that it was imperative to establish a culture so that when people walked into this room, they didn't walk into a stodgy group of religious people, they didn't walk in expecting or seeing what they maybe expected about church before they walked in, but that they would walk into a place where they felt welcomed, where they felt like this is a place they could be themselves. We've talked about this being a place where people belong first, where we dream big, where people can experience God and all the other values that we have all over the website. And uh, if you'd like to, you can go back and check out any of those sermons at tfh.church. But I'm, I'm, I'm really excited nine weeks in that These are not just things we're talking about or banners we put up in a lobby or a page on our website, but I'm seeing the embodiment of these cultures, of this culture in in our people. You know, there's folks here today that maybe don't believe what we believe yet, but they just keep showing up to church because they feel like, man, I I just kind of belong here. And people honor me when I walk in the room and they're friendly when I walk up and they've been generous to me with their love. And it's, it's so cool to see what God is already doing in nine weeks as a church. So thank you for not just listening to us talk but for embracing and embodying every one of these values as we go through them. And today, um, we're going we're gonna to land the plane with, um, I think, one that is such, such an important value for our city because it's something that's so desperately lacking in San Francisco and in the greater Bay Area. And brief disclaimer, um, if you are from one of the other Father's House campuses, uh, this is something that I spoke about about, I don't know, 12 weeks ago or so at our main campus in Vacaville. And uh, yeah, you're going to kind of hear a version of that sermon again, but I want you to know that when I wrote it for Vacaville, I was dreaming about San Francisco and uh, I knew that this week was coming up and I'm like, this is what I want to say to our city and I'm going to practice it on those other people, but really it's about what's happening here this morning. By the way, if you're wondering what this weird concoction is over here, this is not a sermon illustration. People are not going to like jump up out of here halfway through the word. Uh, This is what we call rented church. You share space with other people. Okay. So sometimes things get a little weird on Sunday. It's just fine. Can you, can you deal with it today? At least I'm not showing my ankles again this week, okay? <laughs> Little inside joke for those who came to church last week. All right. Here's the value I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about becoming family, becoming family. And they're going to throw this value on the screen. Uh, but here's what we've written on our website, and here's what we want to embrace. Lives flourish in the context of community. We prioritize living life together and refuse to let anyone do life alone. We want people to not just attend church, not just say I'm a, I'm a part of the Father's house, but to truly become family here. And I want to be the kind of person, I want us to be the kind of people that refuse to let people live life alone. Uh, you've probably noticed this by now, and it's pretty easy to notice here in our community. Just because you are surrounded by thousands of people does not mean that you have people. Doesn't mean that People really know what's going on in your life. It doesn't mean that you've got close friends that you've walked through tough seasons with or that you've celebrated great seasons with. Just because you're surrounded by people doesn't mean that you don't feel alone. Like I've actually done some research this last week and I was, I was baffled at the number of people when surveyed in San Francisco 
who said, even though they're surrounded by literally almost a million people, they just feel completely isolated and completely alone. You know that 75% of people in San Francisco say, I don't really have a close friend. I don't have anybody that I can share life with. I don't, I don't really belong in a relationship. Like, I just, I'm kind of out here doing this by myself. I pull into my garage, I close the door, if I even have a garage, or I pull up to the street and someone breaks into my car and I don't have anyone to complain about it. Like, like people just feel alone. And, and that's such a, it was such a mind-boggling thing to me when we moved here. And I'm like, man, there's just so many people. Just be friendly and, you know, go out and, and shake people's hand and introduce yourself to your neighbors. And I discovered rather quickly that just because there's people that live on either side of me doesn't mean they want to be my friend. One in particular kind of hates me. And it's okay. You know, I'm working it out. I'm trying to be gracious. But like, just because you have people around you doesn't mean that, that you're not alone. I remember being here for about four or five months, about four or five months after we moved here, and I was sitting down to dinner with my wife, and uh, perhaps overshare, but maybe not. And as uh, we were sitting down to dinner, I, like, I had been thinking about it for a few days, and I looked at her and I, I confessed. I'm like, babe, I have never felt this isolated and alone in my life. Like, I've, I grew up in a place where we had friends, and people knew us, and we knew them, and we had tribe, and all of that, but then you come out to this city, and you're like, well, surely. I mean, there's tons of people, and we'll have all these friends, but... Man, five months in, I just felt like no one knows we're here. People haven't even checked in to see how we're doing. Like, like, and I'm blaming other people for my loneliness, but I'm like, man, I just feel so isolated and alone out here. And I remember talking to God about it one night, and I'm like, Lord, I just, I don't like this at all. And you know, I feel like we need some people. And, and God just very graciously said to me, I'm allowing you to experience what so many people feel because I want you to to, to, to embrace that and understand this is what people are walking through in this city. And I made a commitment that night while I was praying. I said, to the best of my ability and as far as our church, church is concerned, I will make sure that nobody has to experience what I'm experiencing right now. If this is what people are walking through, I will try to be the best possible friend I can. And my house will always be filled with people if that's what it takes because I don't want anyone to do life alone. And that's the kind of community that I want us to be here. Now, very simply, here's how we do that at the Father's house. Like, it's cool to say that, but like practically, how do you make sure that nobody's alone? We do that through groups. And I'm gonna give you the end of the sermon and your to-do right now before we even start it, okay? I want everybody in our church to be a part of a life-giving group. A group of people that gather during the week, that have a meal together, that share their lives with one another, that walk through tough seasons together, that pray for each other, that pray with each other, that, that when things are going great, they celebrate and throw parties for each other. Like, I want that kind of community in our church. And I will commit to being that kind of a person if we can all commit to being those kinds of people and making sure that the person who may be sitting behind you right now and doesn't have anyone sitting next to them, that they don't have to do life alone, but they're invited into your world and that we do life together, that we, we do this through groups here at the church. And if you, if you do not have a group, I encourage you to join one. If you've been following Jesus for a little bit of time, I encourage you to start one. Just do whatever it takes to make sure that we create the kind of community where people know I'm not doing life alone, but I've got a tribe with me. So there's the end. Let's start back at the beginning. All right. If you've got a Bible, open it up to uh, Galatians chapter five. And uh, we're going to read a brief scripture. We'll spend our entire time here today. And then we're going to have a little bit of fun. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Now, since we have chosen to walk with the Spirit, let's keep each step in perfect sync with God's Spirit. This will happen when we set aside our self-interests and we work together to create true community instead of a culture that is consumed by provocation, by pride, and by envy. 
This will happen when we set aside our self-interest, we work together to create true community instead of a culture consumed by provocation, by pride, and by envy. Can we pray? Let's pray and we'll get into this. Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you for worship. Man, what an incredible time in your presence today. We just sense your nearness in this place. And you don't show up to just give us a high five and then send us home, but you're here today by your spirit, by your presence, to transform us before we leave this place. I ask over these next couple of moments as we study your word, even even based on statistics, I know there's people here in the room today that feel isolated and alone. I pray that today would be a day where all of that changes. God, that you would know, let them know that they, they belong in this place, that they are a part of a family. And God, if there's anyone here today uh, that, that so desperately needs true family, maybe their family, I've been praying about this all week, family situation is just blown up and uh, maybe, maybe they don't even know what it's like to have a true father or a true mother. God, I pray that this would be the place where they truly become family. They become those, those sons, daughters, fathers, mothers that, that sense just the, the, the nearness of God, the approval of one another, and that they would experience the love of God through relationship and through community. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Okay, a little participation time. How many of you guys in the room are married? Married people, married people, married people, married people. Or, or engaged, we can go with engaged too. Come on, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Okay, keep it up, keep it up. If, if you are around somebody who does not have their hand up, we call these options, okay, look around. You're welcome. Okay, put your hand down. For those of you who are married, how many of you are happily married, okay? Okay, good. That's all right, all of you, good, good job. Even if you're lying, I appreciate that, that's awesome. There is a difference between the two. Uh, I mentioned last week that my wife and I, we have been married for uh, almost 15 years. We're going to celebrate 15 years of marriage next year, uh, which is shocking, I know. Just look like we're in our 20s, but we're not. Um, and, and I... I gotta say, I think we have probably the best marriage we've ever had. As we walk into 15 years, things are not worse. Uh, we don't hate each other more than we did when we first started out. Like things are going well in our marriage. We, we love each other, we're committed to each other. This season has really you know, been the test of whether or not your marriage can make it through a chapter of difficulty and all the stuff that comes along with starting a church. But instead of growing further apart, we've grown further together or closer together. Yeah, closer together. And, uh, and, and it's been a great season. Now I tell you that because um, what I'm about to say might contradict the fact that we do have a strong, healthy marriage. I just want to get that out there first, okay? Um, have you, if for those of you that were married, have you ever maybe thought back longingly uh, to those days when you were single and you didn't have a spouse? And I'm not talking about dating other people, okay? So like that's, that's weird. But like just certain things that you used to enjoy that you can't really enjoy anymore as a married person. Just me. Okay, good. Yeah, me neither. Totally. Yeah. Scratch that from the sermon. Okay, no. <laughs> Come on, being honest. Because someone has to be. Um, there are a few things that, that I miss about my single days. I miss when I was sick or there was pain in my body. I miss the ability to simply take a pill or a medication to make myself feel better. Now, that you're like, hey, I'm married and we do that in our house. What are you talking about? Well, you did not marry Robin Biddle. Like, in my home... We do not immediately resort to modern medicine as a way to solve our problems. Um, in my house, I discovered that the doctor is the guy that you watch the documentary about and you villainize. And instead, we create our own little potions at home that generally involve like essential oils and like apple cider vinegar. And like, if you don't feel good, that's what you take first. And most of the time, it makes absolutely no sense. Like, you know, you have pain in your body, you break your leg, just rub oil on it, it'll be fine. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure frankincense doesn't do that, but that's cool. 
Um, I, miss, um, I miss having one pillow. Just one. That's all you need, okay? If you're on the couch and you want to use a pillow, you can go to your bedroom and you can get the pillow and you can bring it out to the couch. Like, this movement of decorative pillows is absolutely astounding to me, okay? Think about this. You spent two, $3,000 on this beautiful couch, right? And then what do you do? You put pillows all over the couch so that nobody can sit on the couch. I just got an amen from somebody in the back. Thank you, sir. That nobody can sit on this couch. And God forbid you actually lay on the pillow. Like, that is not what that's for. Uh, okay. It's a pillow. Like, that's, that's what I thought it was for. Um, but, and I'm ashamed to admit this, I think one of the things I miss the most, and judge me all you want, because I'll feel it, um, I miss a Big Mac. Some French fries, you know? Big Mac, McBLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese, filet of fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a Happy Meal, milkshake, Diet Coke, big in order, smaller fries, chicken oriental, with salad on the side. Like, That's Skilo, circa 1996. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I miss fast food. Now, and you might say, hey, I'm, I'm married and I have plenty of that. Again, my wife is the problem. And I, <laughs> I discovered rather quickly in our marriage that fast food was not something that was allowed in the Biddle household. Like, we do not eat fast food. And so I did what every good husband would do. Um, I ate it anyway, and I buried the evidence. And I would go home, I kid you not, for the first couple years of our marriage, and I would take these wrappers from fast food, and I would bury them in the bottom of our toter, like trash cans, in hopes that she would never find it. And like a stinking bloodhound, my wife would go outside, and she's like, what's that? Did you eat Big Macs again? And I'm like, I'm sorry. And, you know, just repenting over and over. I remember one time, um, I was... Uh, at this place back in Vacaville, I was, uh, I was getting a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. Come on, those are still good. I just saw an ad that they're doing like triple-decker bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits. And I'm like, if only. Um, but I was getting a couple of those at, at McDonald's, and I was coming out of the drive-thru. And as I turned back onto the road, I was unwrapping a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit in the car seat next to me. And this police officer pulled me over because he thought that I was trying to like discreetly text in the, in the seat next to me. So he came up to the, to the window and he's like, hey, sir, will you text me? I said, no, 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 it's not what it looks like. Um, I was opening up a bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. Uh, would you like one? And he's like, sure, let's go. So everything was fine. But apparently while I was getting pulled over, uh, somebody saw me and reported to my wife that I was being pulled over by the police. And so as soon as I pulled away from this, you know, altercation with the law, uh, my wife calls me and she's like, Hey, someone just called and they said that you've been pulled over. Is everything okay? I just want to make sure everything's all right. And I'm like, totally fine. I didn't get a ticket. I didn't get in trouble. The police officer thought I was texting and I wasn't. So it's fine. She's like, Oh, well, what were you doing? And I'm like, I definitely wasn't texting, so that's what's important. <laughs> like, but, but I think the greatest injustice when it comes to fast food in my household is that um, my kids have never tasted a Happy Meal or a Chalupa or these great things that these establishments have created for our enjoyment. They have never tasted them. In fact, my kids have been trained, uh, brainwashed, to think that anything fast food is fake food. It's human engineered, it's not real, like it's, it's fake food. And if you were to take my children out of kids' church today and put them in your car and drive, which by the way, don't do that please, that's called kidnapping. Um, but if you were to take my kids and you were to drive by a fast food establishment and even suggest the thought that you stopped there for lunch, my kids would go, ew! 
Uh, that is fake food. Why would you eat fake food? That's disgusting. Take me to Whole Foods. You know, like that's, that's, that's what my kids would tell you. Because they've been trained to think nobody should eat that. That is fake. Now, we all know that fast food is bad for us, right? I mean, like statistics have proven it. It can lead to lower brain function and cancer. And even uh, a recent study showed that 51% of the people with a steady dose of fast food uh, are more prone to anxiety and depression. And it's, it's not good for you, right? But what is it about our nation that regardless of what we know, we continue to indulge in the fake, in what's bad for us, simply because it's easy and convenient. Like 85% of Americans continue to eat a steady diet of fast food knowing that it's bad for them. Why? Well, because it's just so much easier than having to put together a meal yourself. I'll just accept what's fake and what's bad for me instead of doing the work necessary for the authentic. Now, I'm not here to talk to you about your diet. Although, if you need that advice, by all means, take it. But we're talking about true community. We're talking about becoming a family. And I think that there are a haunting number of similarities between the way we do food and the way we do community. The, the way we do family, the way we do tribe here in our nation. I think that there are a lot of people that settle for the inauthentic, the fake, the unhealthy version of community instead of doing the work necessary to truly develop those long-lasting, life-giving relationships that should exist, especially in the body of Christ. And we can call it unhealthy, we can call it fake, we can call it whatever we want, but here's what the Apostle Paul calls it in Galatians chapter 5. He calls it cultural community. A community that our culture has bought into. He said, instead of a culture that is consumed by provocation, by pride, and by envy. He gives these three attributes of what cultural community looks like, and he contrasts it with healthy, true community. And he says, guys, there's a culture that you live in, and it is rooted in pride and provocation and envy. If you go back and you read through the entire book, here's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He is telling the church that in, in Galatia that, that there is two different teams, two different communities that exist. A community that's bought into the lie of the law and the Old Testament practices and a community that's embracing the love of Jesus and developing what true community should look like. And he is warning them against returning back to an old broken system of community. One that is rooted in pride and provocation and envy. And he is very aggressive and very compelling in his arguments all throughout the book of Galatians. And I would love to say that here we are a couple thousand years later and we are just nailing it. We are doing community like we should and everything's fine. But honestly, and I don't mean, bless you, to, 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 to say that this is necessarily the case in our church, but I'm painting a broad picture here of the church at large. I think that we still find ourselves with cultures that are consumed by pride, provocation, and envy. And it starts with very harmless things, but it can grow into some pretty harmful things. Let me, let me give you an example. Here's a harmless one. Uh, it is no secret that I am a Golden State Warriors fan. <laughs> wow, that was pitiful. 
Um, and uh, it's a good time to be a Golden State Warriors fan. If you erase the last week of games, it's a great time to be a Golden State Warriors fan. Why? Because they're champions, right? They've won the finals three of the last four years. They've got the trophy. They've got the rings to prove it. They've got probably the best team in franchise history. Like, things are going well for the Warriors. And because I'm a Warriors fan and because of the season that the franchise is in right now, there's a lot of pride associated with being a Warriors fan. They're like, yeah, that's my team. That's my guy. You know, Curry, that's my guy. And KD, that's my guy. And we're, you know, do you see that bucket? Like, like it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot coming along with being a Warriors fan. Uh, and, and because we love our team and we seem to win a lot, we're very quick to provoke other teams, provoke those who might even dare believe that another team might defeat us, like the gentleman who was up here earlier giving announcements because he's a Lakers fan. And if you were Sean and smart, why did more people cheer for the Lakers in our church than the Warriors? This is unacceptable, people. <laughs> so there's a lot of provocation. I talk a lot of trash to Smart and to Bobby because they're Lakers fans. I'm like, we were playing basketball the other day and uh, Bobby dropped a shot from a three-point line. He's like, yeah, I'm like Curry. And I'm like, why is it that even when you do something right, you refer to the team that you don't like instead of your own team? Like, why are your successes tied to a team? And anyway, just throwing that out there for consideration. But there's a lot of provocation. And consequently, there's a lot of provocation from the other side as well. The LeBron fans and the Lakers fans, they talk a lot of trash about the Warriors fans. Why? Because of envy. They want what we have. A good team. Like, <laughs> so, so here you have these cultures that are laced with pride and provocation and envy. Now, that's pretty harmless, right? No one's, no one's losing salvation over basketball teams. But what happens when you mix those same three ingredients into some other cultures? What if it's not my team versus your team, NorCal versus SoCal, what if it's my political party versus your political party? What if it's my convictions and what I believe truth to be versus yours, your convictions, your freedom of choice? What if it's, and I apologize if we get a little bit real on a Sunday morning, what if it's my race against your race? What if it's about my social status versus your social status? And yeah, these are hot button topics. And yeah, that feels a little bit awkward to talk about in church. But have you noticed that this is the culture we live in right now? Where people create these communities in the name of unity, but really it's just creating more division among us. You, you live in a world, whether you realize it or not, that is constantly trying to get you to pick a side, to find a group that you belong to, and once you pick that group, you better be ready to pick it every other group that doesn't believe what you believe. Like to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm with this group, and you can be with that group. And it's dividing us as people. It's dividing us as a nation. It causes us to look at people in different situations with different backgrounds than we have, and to, and to begin to think things we shouldn't be thinking. Like that's the culture we live in. And here's why it's so harmful. We live in a world where you are being asked to build a community around what you are against instead of what you are for. People are very clear about why they're against everybody else, but have you noticed that very few people seem to be able to articulate what it is they're actually for? And if you don't believe me, turn on the news, pick your station. Whatever persuasion or proclivity you want, just pick your station and open it up and here's what you'll find. 
There's a whole lot of people talking about why they hate the other group or hate the other side and why they're wrong and why that's dumb and why it's never gonna work. But it seems like no one's ever talking about what they're really for, just about what they're against. Why is it that in order to be pro something in our culture, you have to be anti something else? Why is it that in order to be pro this political party, you have to be anti everyone else who doesn't agree with you? Pro women's rights, you have to be anti man. And go on down the list of groups that have gathered together in our nation and, and here's what you'll find. We have pretty broken, fractured communities out there. And I'd love to say like, hey, we, in the church, it's totally different. Like we're, we got this thing figured out. If the world would just look at us, we could be the example of what true community looks like. But man, it's all up in our business too. I remember a couple of months ago, um, uh, one of the uh, voices of our nation, John Gray, an amazing preacher uh, and a great pastor, a great church in, in uh, North or South Carolina, one of the Carolinas. And um, he had this amazing opportunity to sit down at a round table uh, with the president and a number of uh, leaders from different cities to discuss um, urban integration policies for prisoners that were being released. And uh, he was invited by uh, the president's team to sit down at this table. And he opened up the meeting and he began to pray uh, based on what it says in Romans for the leaders of our nations. And he was interceding for wisdom and for correction where necessary. And he had an, option to, an opportunity to share his opinion and, and to bring about some things from the word of God to this table of, of leaders that are running our nation. And it was a very proud moment for, for the church to be able to speak into what the government was doing. And I remember when that meeting concluded, I was reading about it on, on, a, on a news station or on a news app on my phone. And uh, shortly thereafter, there were a bunch of news articles about people from the church that were revolting against one of their church leaders sitting even at a table with political leaders that they disagreed with. They were posting all these videos and writing all these blogs. How dare you sit down at a table with people like that? And do you, 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 you just chosen to accept everything that they're doing and you prayed for them. And these are people in the church criticizing someone who had the opportunity to speak into the condition of our nation. One particular guy got online and created a YouTube video. He's like, well, you know, the Bible says in Matthew 18, you're supposed to correct somebody and call them out when they're doing wrong. And, you know, I text Pastor John, that was about 45 minutes ago, and he hasn't responded to me yet. And so I figured I could get on YouTube and tell the world about why he, what he did was wrong. These are leaders in our churches that are pointing the finger at somebody who had an opportunity to maybe adjust the thinking necessarily for some of our government leaders. Like, really? That's what we're doing in the church? Why? Because in their mind, John picked a side. A line was drawn on the sand, like, well, that's the side you're standing on. If that's the side you're standing on, then I'm against you. But permit me to rant for just a moment, if I could. It has been said that in a divided nation, we need a united church. And now more than ever, we need to have a church and a community that doesn't bicker and fight and point the finger at people when they do something that we don't agree with, but rather celebrates when one of our own has a stage and an opportunity and a platform to speak into the condition of our nation. Let me remind us today as a church that Jesus does not allow us to be anti-people. We are not an anti-group of people here. We're not anti that group or anti this group. 
group. No, we are about one thing. We are gathered under one name. And the thing that unites us is the name of Jesus Christ, which is above every other name. And if there are any lines drawn in the sand, you better be standing on the side with Jesus because he's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's not an independent. He's the captain of the Lord's army. Come on, this is where we need to stand, with Jesus. And I'm sorry if you think that me saying that is offsides because I'm a pastor, but I am tired. Thank you, Joe. I am, I am tired of division creeping in, demonic division creeping into the church when we should be united with each other and celebrating each other and we should be the picture to the world of what true loving community looks like. We gotta get this one right. Kids, we gotta get this one right. Jesus says this in John chapter 17 as he's praying, not just for his disciples then, but for any disciple that would ever walk the planet. He said, Lord, I pray that these disciples of mine would be one just as you and I are one. That they would be united just as you and I are united. And then he says this because if they can get that right, they will display to the world how much I love them. Your group is a bigger deal than you think. Your speaking life over somebody that you might disagree with is bigger than you think. The way we unite and the communities we create literally display the love of Jesus for the world to see. We gotta get this one. So, okay, we get it, it's broken. Here's the million dollar question. How do we fix this? How do we make this right? Uh, Years ago, um, we were uh, tasked with starting a young adult ministry at a church in, in Vacaville, at our old church in Vacaville. And uh, I remember we started out this young adult ministry by doing a video series from a guy named Andy Stanley. And uh, it was about um, trying to find the one. It was for you know, people who were looking to get married or whatever. And the series was called Love, Sex, and Dating. Uh, we used the acronym LSD and we promoted that and then we realized it was a really bad idea. Uh, but you know, lessons learned. Um, But uh, in this series, Andy made this amazing statement and I never forgot it and I've used it as I've sat down with single people and done my best to counsel them in in, in the years past. But here's what he said. If you're looking for the one, here's what you need to do. You need to become the one that the one you are looking for is looking for. Become the one. Hey, if you're single, listen. Become the one that the one you're looking for is looking for. Why? Because then you don't have to look for them anymore. They just find you like, oh, that's the one I was looking for. Okay. Become the one that the one you're looking for is looking for. Well, if we're going to become family, every weird uncle in the room and all, if we're going to become family and we're going to get community right, we need to become the family that the family we are looking for is looking for. In other words, we cannot simply point to a group of people or the leadership of this church or whatever and say, okay, you guys figure it out and then we'll sort it out. No, every one of us needs to become the kind of person, become the family that is the family we're looking for. I'm talking about the man in the mirror. I'm talking about you. We got to change. We got to get this one right. And here's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, back to this text. If we're going to do community right, here's how we become the family that God is calling us to become. He said, this will happen, true community will happen when we set aside our self-interests and we work together. When we set aside our self-interests and we work together. 
Here's your notes if you need one. I know, we're at the end of the sermon. I'm finally giving you something to write down. (laughs) If you want to become the type of person that embodies true community, that refuses to let people do life alone, to become the kind of church where everyone feels like this is family, here's what we got to do. We need to be selfless and we need to be interdependent. Selfless and interdependent. Let me break those down and then we'll land the plane. Selfless. I'm not a complicated guy. I'm grateful that the gospel is not complicated. So let me give you the easiest way to become a selfless person. Wake up every single day and ask yourself this question. Who can I serve today? Who can I serve today? God, give me eyes to see who I can serve today. Is there a homeless person I pass every single day on the way to work? Can I serve my spouse? Is there something I can clean that I didn't mess up? Is there something I can put back together? Can I, can I just offer a massage? Come on, somebody. Like, who can I serve today? If we will wake up every single day with that simple phrase in our spirit, I think we can change the world around us. In a culture, especially here in the Bay Area, where people are about their business and they are ignoring everything else, if we can get them to stop for a moment, say, hey, you can take the spot in front of me in the line at the grocery store. Hey, go ahead, you you just got one thing, go ahead, you can do it. I'll open the door for you. It's amazing what little acts of kindness and serving people in this community do to open up a conversation. Who can I serve today? And by the way, if you are the kind of person who is in a position of authority, God has elevated you to a position of authority in your workplace or wherever you, you find yourself in leadership, then you need to ask yourself this question more so every single day than everyone else around you. Because there's something that creeps into the heart of a leader that thinks that everybody else is supposed to serve them. But in fact, the higher up you go, the more consistently you need to ask yourself this question, who can I serve today? Jesus, arguably the highest authority of all time, right? We would all agree on that. What did he do when his disciples found themselves around him at the Last Supper? He takes a towel and he begins to wash his disciples' feet and he serves them. The the Messiah, the one sent from heaven, comes to earth and begins to serve those whom he's saving. And then he says to his disciples, once the last set of feet are washed, he's like, guys, this is what I want you to do for each other. The leaders of this world, they lord it over them. They hold their leadership in high position and say, you serve me, but not among you. Among my disciples in my house, no matter how high up you get, you got to ask this question. How can I get down on a knee and how can I serve you? If we will ask that question, I promise you, it's gonna open up some conversation. It's gonna bring people into the community. It's gonna find family because that's not how the world around you operates. How can I serve you today? Little little confessional moment. I wasn't sure if I was gonna do this, but I was thinking about this phrase as I drove home today because when we were setting up church this morning, I had an opportunity to do this and I blew it. I'm your pastor and I made a bad decision, okay? There's a, some people that are set up in here to do opera and uh, there's an opera happening and this has been going on for the last couple of days. There's a lot of stuff set up on stage. And instead of asking myself the question, how can I serve other people who are in this community or in this facility, we're in a rented place, I went about trying to get my own way. I came back and I had to apologize. Why? Because I wanna be the kind of person that asks myself, hey, how can I serve you, okay? My church is not gonna be that thrown off by a little bit of cloth on the corner of a stage. But in my mind, I made it this big, huge thing. No. Let's not be those people. Don't be like me. (laughs) Just do what Jesus says, not what I say, all right? Let's ask, how can I serve somebody else today? Last one, and band, you guys can come with this. We need to be inter-
dependent, interdependent. That's just a fancy way of saying, I need you and you need me. Come on, say it with me. I need you and you need me. You need me and I need you. I have come to this beautiful place in life where I realize that the lie of rugged individualism is just that. It is a lie. Nobody wins by themselves. An island unto itself out there trying to figure everything out, you are not going to win that way. You need people and people need you. When I look around the room at our church, I am so grateful that there is diversity of age, diversity of culture, that this is not one group of people that is the same age and the same economical status and you know, all, no, I am so grateful for many of the older families and younger people that God has brought here. I'm so grateful for the diversity, why? Because I need those people and, and so do you. I, I need people that have been following Jesus longer than me to show me what maturity truly looks like. I need some young people that are still gonna make a whole bunch of mistakes but are kinda in love with Jesus, they're still trying to figure that out because I need their zeal and I need their passion so that I don't get stale as a follower of Jesus. I need some people that have studied the Bible a lot more than me so that when I say something that's out of line, they can set me right on my theology. Thank you, Bob. (laughs) I need some people in this room that that have been through some stuff I've never been through because maybe I don't have the empathy and I don't, I don't have the ability to understand what someone else is walking through, but you do. Like we need each other. And I wanna encourage you, do not be the kind of person that just comes to church, sits with the same group of people and then disappears and never really interacts with the body of Christ here. Because the answer to your problem, the prayer for your situation, the partner that you need to fast with you for breakthrough, they might be sitting in another chair around you. We need each other. We are interdependent. Here's your take home. Um, Pardon the second basketball illustration, but here it comes. I'm gonna put on a jersey here real quick. Awkward moment. Okay. The, The Warriors right now, minus the last week, it's my disclaimer every time, It's been a rough week. They're going to figure it out. The championship team. And any time a reporter has a chance to talk to one of those players, they always seem to look for opportunities to make the team about one person. Whether it's you sit down with Curry and they're like, oh my gosh, you're just the greatest three-point shooter of all time. And, you know, this team is what it is because of you. You know, KD, you're like... You know, you said you, were, you weren't seven feet tall, but we all know you are seven feet tall, and you've got that step back, you know, and it's just, man, you make that shot. It's because of you that this team is really, really winning. Or Draymond, you're, like, you're one of the greatest defensive guys of all time. Like, this team is what it is because of you. Or, you know, Clay, when you can actually make a shot, like, man, you're, you're great. Like, you're the best. Like, they always want to point to one of the players and make the team about an individual. And here's what I love about the Warriors. Anytime that they're interviewed, they always correct that line of thinking. Every one of those team members goes, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not about me, it's about us. If I were to go out on the court and play by myself, I'm not gonna win a game. But there's a family that God's brought around us, maybe they don't say God, (laughs) but that's why we win. 
And the other day, Curry was being interviewed by somebody, and they're like, hey, you know, you're out, and, and the team's losing right now, and like, obviously, you're the secret sauce to this organization, and if you just get back into the game, then you think that you guys can start chalking up some wins again. Here's what Curry said. He said, I'm gonna stop you right there. We are a family here. And he made this statement, and it's cliche, and you've probably heard it before, but he said, as far as I'm concerned, it's not about the name on the back of the jersey, it's about the name on the front. See, on the back of this jersey, is his name. And there's a lot of people that live for that. That's my number, that's my name, those are my stats. It's about me, 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 me. But Curry says, no, 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 no. That number and that name means nothing if not for the one on the front. It's the team, it's the family. And you might say, well, that's great, Tim, but you're not actually wearing a team jersey because it says the Bay and it doesn't say Golden State Warriors. I'm glad you asked about that. Because here we are as a church, we're not for a team, we're for a city, we're for a region. And the family we're talking about is not found at Oracle Arena with popcorn shoved in its face, standing up and screaming when somebody drops a three-pointer. But the family I'm talking about is a group of 10 people sitting in your living room or at a coffee shop that when somebody gets a promotion at work, we celebrate the same way they do at Oracle Arena. When somebody's walking through a tough season, we put our arm around them and we say, no, I'm gonna pray with you and I'm gonna walk through this season with you. We all need a spiritual jersey, if you will, that has our family on the front and we realize it's about this name, not about my name. I so desperately want this for our church. And so I appeal to you today and I ask you today, can we please be the people that become family, that don't just attend a room and that's all we see throughout our lives and this is it and you know I kind of see the same face every third week over there in the right corner of the room, but can we sit around some dinner tables and some coffee tables and some restaurants and get out on the golf course together and play basketball together or do whatever it is you do. If you knit, let's knit together. I don't care. Let's find something to rally around so that we can become the family that God has called us to become. Amen? Come on, amen? I'm done. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I want to pray. And uh, I'm going to end where this scripture started. Here's what it says. Now, since we have chosen to walk with the Spirit, let's keep each step in perfect sync with God's Spirit. Before you can ever become family with the people of God, there must be a moment where you become family with Jesus himself. And every single week here at the Father's house, we make an opportunity for people that are far from God to enter into that family relationship with Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you are far from God, maybe over the last couple moments or during worship, you just sense this distance between you and him and you simply don't want it to remain that way. In just a second, I'm gonna ask you to pray a simple prayer with me and raise your hand, identify yourself. No one's looking around, so this is between you, me and Jesus. But I, I, wanna, I wanna make this statement. Jesus gave his life so that you could be in relationship with him. He so desperately wants you to be a part of his family. And he knew you'd be here this morning. He knew what chair you were gonna be sitting in. And he's saying, hey, son, daughter, come home. Come home, I've been waiting for you. If you're here today and you're far from God and you do not want to remain there any longer, very briefly, would you just look up at me and raise your hand so that I know who I'm praying with before we get out of here today? Thank you, I've got you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, right over there. Awesome. Got you right there in the jacket. Right on, bro. Come on. Yeah, we're celebrating because we're pumped about some new brothers and sisters coming into the family. 
And listen, yeah, come on, let's celebrate real quick. Listen, listen, listen. I know that um, sometimes it's weird to lift a hand and I see that every week because four or five people lift a hand and then 10 people go fill out a card. But um, whatever it is, even if you feel weird about lifting your hand, I wanna pray a prayer with you right now. I wanna thank you for making a decision to follow Jesus. We say, welcome home. Welcome to the family of God. You're a part of this tribe now. Everybody pray this simple prayer out with me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for bringing, you, bringing me into your family. Today, I choose to follow you. Help me to be your, your disciple until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name. Come on, amen, 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 amen. Before you, before you stand up and we get going, if you just made that decision, even if you didn't lift your hand, there's one of these next steps cards right by you in, in a seat nearby. I want you to take that card, throw your name on there, and then check the box that says, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Bring this back to our connect table. We're gonna give you a Bible. We're gonna get you started out on the right foot so that this becomes the family that you can really grow in. And listen, as you saw today, your next step is to be water baptized. It is a powerful moment. We talked about it last week. There is a cutting away of the old way of life and a resurrecting to new life in Jesus in those waters. It's more than just taking a bath in front of a bunch of people. It is a supernatural moment where the old things die away and you can become new. And if you've not been baptized, same thing. You can check the box on there. Say, I wanna get baptized. Our team will get in contact with you and we will celebrate with you during one of our weekend experiences. Stand to your feet. Make sure that we live generously on our way out the doors. Uh, give to the fire relief or you can give your tithes and offerings in the same way. Uh, if you need prayer, I'm gonna invite our team to come on down to the front. We've got people up here that are waiting to pray with you. Otherwise, have an amazing Thanksgiving. Eat a lot of turkey and get back into church next Sunday. We love you. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.